1: Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 5 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, as we discuss a gutting late draw to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, an excellent 3-0 win against Stoke City, Pep Guardiola's imminent move to Manchester City, as well as the possibility of Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford.
0: Shot me with her and me that I was the one. she me quick with paint and Bow
1: me this is the Manchester United Weekly Podcast and you can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. Before we start, thank you for your continued support over the last month as we've begun this podcast starting in January 2016. We've already amassed over 2,500 plays, which is honestly far better than we expected. On to the real stuff now, um, against Chelsea. A gutting draw, wasn't it? Late, late goal from Diego Costa, the 91st minute after Jesse Lingard's incredible strike in the second half. Is there any way other to describe it than gutting, Jack?
0: no not really it was uh, it was awful it's a good performance actually uh, it would have been a big big boost to get that win and yeah as you said gutting is probably the only way to describe it really
1: yeah because we started really well we had an excellent first 15 minutes in particular first half was brilliant in first quarter of an hour we had five corners two shots and targets and almost 80% possession and I felt it was quite a lot like the Van Hal that we were promised when he arrived at the club at, after his past at Barca, AZ Alkmaar, at Bayern and at Ajax, and our front four of Lingard, Matter, Rooney, and Martial were all drifting inside, swapping positions, and cutting inside, getting shots under a, particularly Martial, even Rooney at times. And I thought it was a quite a Van Holte-like performance as his history as a manager. Did you feel the same way?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I really thought we started really, really well. And you said first sort of 15, 20 minutes were were brilliant, probably some of the best football that we've seen from United this season. I think Juan Mata moving, um, moving into the centre has been a big help in, in creating that change. I think you know we've been quite critical of, of Mata in the first few episodes of this podcast. But actually, when he has played in the centre in the last few games, he has been much, much improved. And he's been a big part, I think, of the improvement that we've seen in the last few weeks. And yeah I think the, the the interchange between the front four was really really nice to see because we we've all seen that we've been quite static quite unwilling to to change our system and the players positions and it was really nice to see that happen especially in the first half at Stamford Bridge.
1: It was a big waste of a truly good performance and the first 75 minutes were were brilliant I thought and the style of football was great and United fans were <laughs> clearly loving it, and Jesse Lingard's goal was quite incredible. We'll, we'll go on to that later, but first half, I thought, was was a Van Hal way of playing, and uh, before the game, in an interview with Sky Sports, he was saying that um, he wanted to move the ball quicker, he wanted to pass forward, and he he wanted to attack from, from the start, and there, there was that confidence about him that we saw when he first came, and that, Everyone loved it at that point and has now become a hindrance for him and has now made yeah, fans and, and annoyed. I, I,
0: I think what you're saying about um, is, is what we expected when he first arrived. We all we all knew that Louis van Gaal was a manager who liked to control games. He liked to, to make sure that he was imposing his own team on the opposition. But that control has just gone too far for quite a lot of this season. And so Sunday against Chelsea, I thought was a perfect example of just what van Gaal is trying to create at Manchester United. And it is where we do dominate the game, but we aren't just dominating the game for the sake of it. We are actually trying to go forward, trying to create chances and having a lot more penetration. And I, th- I think it was exactly what Van Gaal was brought in for and it's exactly what we all expected from him from the start.
1: As always, there was a lot of negativity on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite hard to avoid that on social media. <laughs> but even before the game, we had our traditional team news comes out, the entire world is going to end because Marad Folaini starting, and People were quite frustrated with Morgan Schneiderlin being dropped again to the bench. But actually, Fellaini and Carrick, they worked quite well in midfield, didn't they?
0: They, they, they did. And I must admit, I was one of the people um, who was very upset that Morgan Schneiderlin had been dropped again. Not not so much because Fellaini started. I just, I just thought that Schneiderlin should have started. But as, as you say, give Fellaini and Carrick credit where it's due. They were really, really, really good. Fellaini really didn't put a foot wrong in the whole game. And I think Michael Carrick as well. Is someone who has gone under the radar in the last couple of games. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to Stoke a little bit later. But since he's come back from injury, he really does offer us something different in midfield because he really he really offers us that penetration between the lines that I don't think anyone, maybe bar Daley Blind in our team, can. And when he picks up the ball, you can see that he's always trying to get into these little pockets of space and play with people like Juan Mata, Wayne Rooney... Jesse Lingard when he comes inside in and get between the lines between the midfield and the defence and it's what we saw a lot in the first half from one matter in particular and I think a lot of it stems from Michael Carrick and Daley Blynn playing those passes between the lines.
1: Michael Carrick particularly impressed me and is he you say Fellaini was impressive and Fellaini again was impressive against Stoke as you say we'll move on to that later and I think Carrick's. Calmness, Carrick's attacking sort of. The, the, as soon as he gets the ball, he looks forward, and everyone always has him down as this defensive midfielder. And he is a defensive midfielder. Doesn't mean he can't have an an attacking sense. And everyone always criticizes him for playing the ball sideways. But uh, I don't know how we can prove it more than if you simply look at stats. And Carrick manages to to make Fellaini look better because he takes away Fellaini's weaknesses, which is. Rash challenges, having to play the ball on the floor. And he lets Fellaini do what he's best at. And I thought, also, Carrick, when you have a defence whose record is very good, because the team is defensively good usually, although not in the last few games, not in the last sort of month and a half or so, you you have a team who's good defensively. Carrick aids that massively because Smalling and Blind often have to fill for two quite attacking fullbacks in Darwin and Borthwick Jackson. And Carrick just simply drops into that hole that, that that Smalling and Blind have left and he just calms the side down. There's no panic that everyone needs to run back. Carrick just fills that hole.
0: Yeah, and for a long time I've always thought that that supposed criticism of Carrick that he just passes sideways and backwards all the time is one of the most misplaced criticisms in. in in sort of English football, I think if you're going to label that charge at anyone, it definitely isn't Michael Carey. As soon as he picks up the ball, you can always see that he's trying to create that penetration, that incisiveness with his passing that we've been lacking for pretty much the entire season, to be fair. And I think he really has made a huge difference since coming back. And as you say, he has probably had an effect on Maran Fellaini because they complement each other quite nicely because they are so different. And so when they play together it it actually works quite well, despite what we all may think before the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think if we come up against uh, a genuinely quality side, because Van Gaal, after the game, in as he was deeply frustrated, um, he he said that Chelsea are obviously a quality side, but um, you ca- you cannot really say that. They've improved under Goosehead Inc, but really, they're not at the level they were. And I think if we come up against a, a genuinely brilliant side, Arsenal on the day, Manchester City on the day, even if you're extreme high quality like Barcelona, I think Carrick and Fellaini would be exposed. But in games like this where Chelsea didn't start well, they did well. One criticism of Fellaini I had, although it, I I don't want to do this because he gets enough criticism as it is that's unfair. He has to start finishing his heading chances. Against Newcastle, he missed a, a great one to make it 4-2 and we eventually drew 3 all. Missed two against Chelsea. I think he missed one against Stoke. I think he missed one against Derby as well. And for, for a player who's got brilliant chess control, he, he needs to start uh, working on his on his headers. Uh, man of the match for you, Jack?
0: It was a tough one. Um, I think David De Gea is he's obviously in with the shout. I thought he you know, made some good saves as we've come to expect. For me, I, th- I, thought, I thought man of the match was Matteo Darmian. I thought he had a great game at right back. Um, he controlled that. Uh, left flank against Oscar and Aspilicueta really well. He seemed to make countless, countless challenges, especially in the first half where Chelsea maybe threatened to counter attack and he just stopped all their momentum completely. A few other standout performances I thought, one matter, as I said, was, was very good, as was Wayne Rooney. And of course, Jesse Lingard. We can't forget him with that sublime goal. Your man of the match, Harry?
1: Well, I I thought Damien was really good. It seems he come back from the injury that he did have, and he's come back as the player that we loved at the start of the season, where he really impressed us all with both defensive and attacking influence. And uh, he, he was the best player of the first half. His crosses have clearly been worked on on the training ground, and both Jackson, crosses were great. Also, um, I thought Lingard wasn't brilliant, although I. I criticised him at half-time and said Memphis Depay should come on for him. Uh, he proved me and others wrong again with with a brilliant goal in the second half. Martial, decision-making was much improved. He's crossing instead of shooting at times, and there was one moment where I, I, I genuinely applauded him in my in my sitting room. Um, he just earned the corner instead of shooting again, kicked the ball against the defender because he knew he couldn't cross, and then Courtois would just take it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's been a feature of um, of his play recently in the last few games. He seems to be maturing every week. Um, I didn't think Chelsea was his best game that we've ever seen from him. I thought, actually to be fair, I thought Ivanovic did pretty well against him after he ran him ragged at Old Trafford. But no, I thought his decision-making definitely is beginning to improve. We are starting to see him mature a little bit. Obviously, he still has a long way to go, but he's still only still only young. And I think, you know, whatever, wh- however bad our season may have been, he's definitely a bright spark and something that United fans can be hopeful for the way that his career may turn out.
1: Yeah, and on, on to the the failure of the game. I saw you say uh, that you, you would have taken a one or draw before the game, and I think some people would have, some people wouldn't like to say that, but may, may have done at Stamford Bridge a ground, which we traditionally, even under Fergie, didn't have a great record. Um, what, what was the failure in, in the end?
0: I think it was team errors. I, I saw... You know, if anyone who follows me on Twitter will see me getting quite annoyed with people blaming the whole thing on Memphis Depay um, losing the ball up the pitch, and yeah, it was a mistake. There's no doubt about that. He should have either played the pass to Schneider properly or should have just kept it in the corner. But there was eleven passes between Memphis giving that ball away and Chelsea putting the ball in the back of the net. And so to blame all of that on Memphis to fight him the ball away, I think is, is just ridiculous.
1: I saw someone tweet that Schneiderlin was, uh, people say square it to Schneidlin, but Schneidlin was pointing with his arm quite clearly, pointing forward to, so that Memphis yeah. could give him the through ball.
0: Yeah, and to, to be fair, if you want to point fingers at Memphis, what was Schneidlin, our defensive midfielder, who he brought on to shore up defensively, what was he doing making that run at 1-0 up in the 91st minute? You know, I think it was team errors more than anything, you know, Got a bit unlucky with David Blin slipping. He probably would have intercepted the pass if he'd have managed to stay on his feet. Obviously, Cameron Borkwick-Jackson, unfortunately, played Diego Costa on side and so nearly made up for his error. But, hey, it was, it, was, it was one of those things, you know, a bit of bad luck, quite a lot of team errors and I don't think it's fair to blame it on any one individual.
1: I'm struggling to criticise Van Gaal now because we, we've all done it a lot in the past and he, he is improving the football that we have to watch. He's improving that. But I think... He wanted us to see the game out sensibly. He wanted us to close it out with possession with the boring anti-football possession unfortunately seen so many times this season. And I think sensibly he wanted to do that, but the team wanted to counter-attack. And I think his yeah. substitutions were slightly dodgy in bringing Memphis on. At the time I, I said it was a good substitute for, for Jesse Lingard, but he, he did give away the ball for the goal technically, didn't really. Uh, we We can't blame him for that. And then Schneiderlin, I I thought he was he was quite poor. There were so many rash tackles near the penalty area. If that had been Chelsea last season, you'd think one of those free kicks, uh, many which he gave away, would have resulted in a, a, a thumping John Terry header or, or something of the sort.
0: Schneiderlin didn't perform particularly well when he came on, but I guess in his defence, he was probably just looking to break up the game as much as he could. But I agree, you know, some of the areas he was making the challenges weren't weren't sensible. And yeah, I, I expected us as well to try and keep the ball just, you know, actually go backwards and sideways as much as we want as long as it takes time off the clock and we seemed incapable of doing it for whatever reason. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think the subs were necessarily poor. I think it was a, a bit of panic stations and to be fair, I think the goal was inevitable in the last sort of 15 minutes or so. You could tell that it was coming if we didn't, we didn't get a hold and control the game a little bit more, which we were never able to.
1: Yeah, as soon as we began hoofing it out and I... I don't want to single out Memphis because it's not all him. It's just one example that I remember. As soon as he, I saw him hoof it out instead of just, he was in space and he just thumped it away. And Chelsea just came back in another wave of attacks. And I, I think as soon as we saw that we started hoofing out and Van Gaal complained about this after he wanted his team to control the ball, control the play and just close out the game. As soon as we began hoofing out, you, you could tell that they would score and it was either...
0: I don't actually think just simply hoofing the ball out was the, was the issue. It was the fact that we hoofed the ball out and then didn't push up as well because it, hoofing the ball out is not necessarily a bad, a bad thing. You know, it, does, it does get the ball away from the danger area. It gives you a slightly, a slightly more time to get a breather, get back in your position. But we just never pushed up. and We were just camped on the edge of our penalty area inviting pressure. And I know that, I know that it was inevitable Chelsea were going to pile on the pressure in the closing stages. But we could have done a lot more to, to, to press them slightly higher up the pitch and i'm not saying i'm not saying commit every man in like a high press system but there, we we could have done a bit more to press them higher up the pitch and not sit back as much as we did
1: yeah, I think that's another uh, that's another way in which we were sort of muddled over what to do. Half the team wanted to sit back. I think Carrick and, and Blind were trying to sort of hold on to the ball as, as with their calm midfield play. You'd expect them to be, whereas people like Schneiderlin were charging forward and uh, Lingard, before Memphis came on for him, was charging forward and then Memphis did it himself. And I think that's another area where we, where we got muddled. And ultimately, although I don't want to because, as people have <laughs> described me on Twitter, I'm a Van Hall sympathiser... Um, I think Van Gaal should have made it abundantly clear that we had to just hold on to the ball, close the game out with possession. We're now six points off top four. Um Leicester flying, flying away with the league title. And I think, I think we've all been sitting here trying to think of a, a clever thing to tweet that, that's different, but there's no other way to describe it other than quite unbelievable. While we've got Sunderland at the weekend, there's a, a big match between Arsenal and Leicester, City and Tottenham, and that's all of the top four playing each other. And that presents an opportunity to, to really make up some points. So a win against Sunderland is a must onto an impressive victory against Stoke City. The cynic in me will have to remind you that Stoke are in quite terrible form and will beat an Everton 3-0 on the weekend too. However, free-flowing, counter-attacking football, I don't think there's anything we can complain about, Jack.
0: Not at all. I actually really, really enjoyed that game. It was lovely to watch. Just exactly what the fans have been crying out for all season. You know, Martial's goal really summed up the whole performance for me. It was quick. It was free-flowing. It was instinctive football. It was... Uh, players playing in such a natural way and playing to their best. It was, it was lovely to watch and to see that Rooney-Martial combination again, as we've seen it a few times this season, but to, to see it for almost the full game was, was brilliant and their link-up play, it was brilliant the whole game.
1: Yeah, Martial on the left is has been really, really good in the last few games and Juan Mata in a natural position, as we mentioned about the Chelsea game, in a natural position in the centre-attack midfield against Stoke and he... This is a sort of an Arsenal fan phrase with Meza Ozil, but he got the assist of the assist on all three goals. Really, everything about that game was was really good. The first 45 minutes, was that the best of our season?
0: I think so, definitely. Certainly, our best first half at Old Trafford. It made me very, very happy that that god-awful stat about the goalless first half at Old Trafford could come to an end. (laughs) Because I got so bored of seeing it every single week. No, it, it was good. It was, it was definitely the most I've enjoyed in United this season and definitely something to build on. Like I said, although Stoke aren't in the best form, it was still a potentially tricky fixture and one that we dealt with really well and played very, very well throughout.
1: Yeah, first half goal. I'll just remind you of this one more time. First, first half goal since September at home in the league. That's shocking, but we got two of them. First time we scored two first half goals since the 4-2 against City back in April 2015. And overall, aside from just the the style of play, we had Balfour-Jackson to Jesse Lingard, uh, two Mancunians from the academy, um, setting up the first goal. Cameron
0: Balfour-Jackson has been something of a revelation, hasn't he? I mean, some really, really good performances against Stoke. He was brilliant. And some of his crosses are just unbelievable. I mean, he put in, put in one in the first half against Chelsea as well. That um Kurt Zuma, who I'd like to say I wish him well with that horrible injury, made a really good header actually, but crosses, they are just Unbelievably good. I mean, the one, the one for um, for the Lingard's goal was an, was a brilliant cross, and he made put two or three against Chelsea that causes defence real real problems. And seeing him get, getting up and down that left flank has been a joy to watch and a real real plus point in the last few weeks.
1: And against Chelsea, he's probably the only player in our squad who does these really really curling, uh, low sort of just off the off the pitch uh, crosses that curl in front of defenders, make them. I, they either have to stretch really far to get them or they don't. And, and we, we do need to see a bit more of Rooney following them up. But uh, he, he had an excellent game against Stoke. Obviously, an, another goal and Martial with a goal as well and Lingard. And Rooney had, uh, before we came to this Chelsea game, seven goals in seven games.
0: Yeah, been really, really good in 2016 as a whole, to be fair. Having Juan Mata, Anthony Martial, Jesse Lingard around him, I've been saying for a while that Wayne Rooney, if he's going to play as a striker, he needs pace around him. And as soon as he's got that, with with the ability of Mata behind him as well, it's been a really, really good combination.
1: Yeah, we we may have to see Martial out on the left for for the rest of this season because Rooney's benefiting from it. And I think Martial is too because he, he's really sort of, learning how to add more to his game to become a complete striker. Rooney's goal in our first February game saw him score and assist again. He was named our January Player of the Month, I think, That's quite well deserved, although Anthony Marshall and Cameron Borthwick-Jackson would both be deserving too. In that 3-0 victory, no booing at Old Trafford, but Roy Keane has had his say on it, uh, which I know both myself and Jack agree with. He said, I just can't understand the supporter, a proper supporter, and I do understand frustration when your team isn't doing well, but to boo a manager or the team, why? We mentioned Guillermo Varela being impressive in the Cup in the last episode. He couldn't retain his place as Matteo Dami returned from injury against Stoke. Um, he says that manager Van Gaal has a difficult personality, uh, but as some newspapers chose to leave out selective uh, truths, he also insists that Van Gaal has no issue with South American players uh, like Varela, which has been reported previously. Van Gaal did take issue with Di Maria last season, though, and the Argentine currently ripping up league 1 with Paris Saint-Germain. Di Maria says his time at United was a sad experience and neither wants to talk about it nor remember it. In transfer news, another South American, Neymar's father, says that United bid £145 million for his son last summer. <laughs> Jack, Jack, is he worth that much?
0: Well, with the way the current transfer market is, I think you'd have to say he's not far off. I, I don't honestly think you'd be able to get a player of Neymar's quality for, for anything less than that. If we somehow did manage to get Neymar, I, I, I don't really care what the price is for the <sighs> impact that he would have at United.
1: Another expensive player, this time... In the coming summer, could be Renato Sanchez, according to the Manchester Evening News. Ed Woodward has spoken to George Mendez about Benfica's young forward. United want him in the summer, apparently, he, but he could cost forty-six million for a young forward. Forty-six million. I mean, I know, I know we signed Marshall. We can't really talk. That was a, around fifty million, but Bayern... Barca and Real Madrid are interested as well in Sanchez. Nick Powell has joined Hull City on loan and hopefully Steve Bruce can help him get back on track. He had a few attitude issues before, a bad knee injury but has come back, worked really hard in the gym and impressed with the under-21s and as such Van Gaal gave him a chance a few times this season another young player Luke Shaw has been challenged to return before a potential Europa League final by Van Gaal <laughs> hopefully we reach the final but I don't know that seems less likely than Shaw being back before then it'd be great to see him be a part of the Euro 2016 squad for England which Kurt Zuma won't be a part of his home Euros which is uh, qu- quite disappointing after his injury against United on Sunday uh, ho- hopefully he can return soon the biggest news of the week you you must live in a cave if you haven't heard this by now is that manchester city have taken our man after failing in 2013 to sign pep guardiola we have done so again of course woodward has briefed the press that we didn't actually want him but either we failed or even worse we didn't try because we were scared of being beaten chris says he doesn't care about guardiola going to city but i think we do don't we jack oh
0: of course whenever your rivals get someone of Guardiola's pedigree and he's always something you care about. Um, it was disappointing, but I can't say it was a shock when City released that statement, to be fair. I think he probably will transform City into the best team in England and if not the best in Europe during what I assume will probably be only three years at the club. He doesn't seem to like staying at a club for much longer than that. I think we have to try and not worry about it as much as we can because we can't, you know, we can't change what's going to happen that that Etihad between now and the start of next season. So the most important thing is just making sure that we improve in the areas we need to, making sure that we make the right decisions so that come the middle of August, when the next Premier League season starts, we're in the best possible position to to try and, and keep up and hopefully overtake City as hard as it may be.
1: I think not worrying about it is quite a sensible idea because as you say, we, we can't really change what's going to happen and uh, it, it was It had a sort of sense of inevitability about it over the past few months, but I was quite surprised to see it come out this early. I think it might have a a terrible impact on city season this year, and there were reports going around yesterday that Guardiola 's a clause in the contract he 's just signed, which means if city miss out on top four he won 't join them um, and <laughs> that 's unlikely, but uh give it, uh, the, the impact that uh, we had when Fergie announced his retirement in 2001 was, was really terrible. Missing out on Guardiola r- really is bad, in my opinion. It, c- it could signal the domination of City for the for the next five years or so. And I seem to have responded to missing out on him, which they reportedly knew about a month ago, um, by trying to alert Jose Marino to replace Van Gaal in the summer. Given his desperation to manage us, I don't think even <laughs> Woodward could mess this up.
0: Personally, no, for me. I just think it would be such an emotional decision now. to, And I think it would just be such a a reaction to to Guardiola. Like I said, I don't think we can... We can't just become that club that does things because we want to react to what our our noisy neighbours are doing. We have to do what's in the club's best interest. And while Mourinho might win us a trophy or two in the next three years, I can't see that he will ever change his ways because... You know, I've heard people say, or talk, well, I've talked to them on Twitter, saying, oh, but he's apparently said he'll change his ways if he comes to United and he'll stay for a long time. Well, he said he wanted to create a dynasty when he went back to Chelsea. And, and three years later, he's, he's been sacked. So I can't see him changing at all. And I just think there are better options out there. Personally, I would like to see us go after Diego Simeone. What about you, Harry? Are you Mourinho in?
1: i'm Mourinho out we did a poll on twitter a few days ago and only 28 percent said uh they don't want Mourinho. the rest said either replace van hall now or replace him in the summer most united fans at the moment want Mourinho and are, are properly desperate for him and there, there's no coming back in terms of van hall for them i think that the argument about Mourinho playing defensive football is a ridiculous one um at Chelsea at Real Madrid they they scored a ridiculous amount of goals attacking setup up uh, Herrera said the other day that Mourinho isn't defensive um, he he played Fabregas, William, Oscar, Hazard and Costa last season and only Matic was a defensive player in the in the sort of front seven and Chelsea's performances last season were attacking um, up until probably march time when they sort of faded out but still won the league and so i don't think you can use that argument but the main argument is that Mourinho is not a united manager and and people say but he's a winner but yeah he'll, he'll probably win us the premier league all right that, that's fantastic but in three years time we'll be exactly the same position as when fergie left us premier league champion with a, a squad that sort of needs building once more a club that has no structure and owners that sort of have no direction about about how where where, where we want the club to go.
0: I, I I just think it would end up in three years we would be in exactly the same position that we're in now with a squad that isn't good enough to compete with the best in the country, let alone the best in Europe. We would end up needing to throw another 2 300 million pounds at the squad to get it up to a standard where we can compete with those teams. And in the process, okay, we might win one or two trophies, but I don't I don't even think Mourinho can compete with Guardiola after a summer of what I assume will be heavy spending with a squad that at the moment is already far superior to ours at City and then with the extra reinforcements that I assume he will bring in, I don't even think Mourinho will be able to to contest with it personally. And I just think we would be much better off to focus at actually thinking about what will be the best for our club in the long term. Because what is the point in winning maybe one Premier League trophy in the next three years if we then don't win another for 10? I would rather go the next two or three years without winning anything so that then for the next 10, 15 years, we can consistently win trophies, win Premier Leagues, win hopefully Champions League trophies consistently as we did under Ferguson.
1: Mourinho, right? Like everyone, everyone seems to want him, and everyone seems to want a trophy, and that's right because United need a trophy. We can't go this long without winning one. And do you want to win a trophy at the expense of these traditions which we constantly go on about? These traditions at the club of using youth attacking, and the use of youth is a massive issue against Chelsea it was our three thousand seven hundred and eighty first game in a row with the youth player in the squad and that record could be massively endangered if if Mourinho comes in as and Abramovich seems to want Chelsea to start using their incredible academy. And Mourinho had the best academy in in, in the country and one of the best in the world who won the UEFA youth league so, the younger version of the Champions League, and he didn't use it bar bringing on Ruben Loftus' cheek for five minutes every game or something like that. And I think Mourinho brings off-field issues, massive ones. And Ferguson was, w- wasn't was perfect in that sense. He he was nasty. Most fans of other clubs would have hated him. And to journalists, he didn't get on well with quite a few of them, and he kicked some out when he didn't like what, what they asked him. So obviously Ferguson wasn't perfect, Van Gaal's not perfect in terms of off-field issues with the relationship with the media, but events like the the poking of Tito Villanova in the eye in El Clasico, events like sacking Eva Canero, eventually getting into a, an employment tribunal <laughs> with Eva Canero simply because she did her job. And of course Ferguson wasn't perfect, and of course maybe these aren't things which really matter when you're winning trophy after trophy. But they do matter to a club like Manchester United, who have been much more than a club for for many people in Manchester and across the country. And few managers are better than Mourinho in the world. And th- there's no denying that. Guardiola is one of them. Mourinho has done some incredible things in the past decade, but inevitably he'll be sacked. It happens at every single club. He'll be sacked. Inevitably, after he goes, the club will get worse, as we've seen at Inter Milan. He won the treble. team crumbled because of the squad he built, a- a- an ageing squad which needed Mourinho to do it. And Tito Villanova, who I mentioned about him poking him in the eye, um, at-, at the time, in 2011... Not linked with United at the time, but at the time he said a United manager wouldn't do that. And he's right. A United manager wouldn't do that because Ferguson might have been sort of dodgy in terms of being nasty to, to other managers on occasion, particularly Rafa Benitez, and, and to the media. But he wouldn't have done that. Mourinho, of course, off the pitches, like, away from football, everyone says that he's a, a gentleman, really. But I think you cannot... Uh, shy away from what he has done in the past and what he would likely do at United.
0: OK, so Harry, in, there's one name. If Van Hal was to leave in the summer, because we're getting very, very into this Mourinho discussion, if Van Hal was to leave in the summer, one name, who would you want to, to see replace him?
1: There, there's a few names who who can come up. I think, as you mentioned, Diego Simeone is a good shout, but he doesn't speak English, um, Atletico Madrid currently have a transfer ban and so Simeone, they, they won't want to let him go and Simeone might want to stay to, to see that squad through. Allegri at Juventus, that's uh, it's a decent shout and Henry, I, I think my first option, Bar Mourinho and I, I don't want to see gigs take over yet would be Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham. And Daniel Levy <laughs> will definitely not want to see him go. And Pochettino might not want to come because he's got a great project going at Tottenham. He's got a, a very good squad to uh, improving every season. And they're genuinely within a chance of the title this season. So I, I don't know why he'd want to leave, but the name United has attracted people before. If
0: Van Gogh does leave, he's going to end up being a strange summer because there are a lot of possible candidates, but they're also a lot of reasons why they wouldn't want to leave and why they
1: don't want to come to Manchester United. In terms of away from the managerial situation at United in in more in terms of the lack of direction at the club from the very top, which we discussed in the last episode, um, we genuinely, there's nothing to to be positive about in this area. We've been very positive about the football, but in terms of the Glazers, there's very little to be positive about. And... I've read something today about the Glazer effect and how from 2005 to 2013, the the lack of investment is what has really hurt us. And from 2005 to 2009, it was fine when they first took over because good decisions made before that in terms of Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney saw us through. And as soon as Ronaldo left, performances started getting worse. Results were the same because of Ferguson. But now it's truly showing itself. And it could be another five or ten years before we can really be back to even title-winning squads. With this Mourinho story that came out from uh, Di who's uh, very reliable, Uh, it was also mentioned that Atletico Madrid's uh, sporting director, Andrea Berta, United are also looking to bring him in alongside Mourinho. And while I might not want the Mourinho uh, signing... Although uh, if he does if he does come, I'll probably love him. Um, although I might not want Mourinho to come, I think the the addition of a sporting director, uh, more commonly known as a director of football, in England, I think that would be very very good because A. Berta has a good relationship with George Mendes as well as Edward Woodward. and it allows Woodward to really use his strengths and cover up his weaknesses because there's no denying that he is an incredible businessman who's very good very imaginative and uh, someone who can bring in a huge amount of money for the club and an 83 percent increase in revenue in his first two years i think and that that is incredible and he's exploiting markets all across the world and it will allow him to do that while we can have a sensible person in footballing terms and someone who knows about football, has footballing knowledge to run the transfer side of things. Do you want Berta in or or another director of football in?
0: Yeah, I think whether it's Berta or or someone else, I do think a sporting director would, 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 would help the direction of the club. Like you said, Ed Woodward seems to have a very, very good idea of how to make Manchester United a successful business and how to really increase our revenues a lot. And, and the proof of that is clear for all to see. But on the pitch, I think we do need someone who, who just has a bit more football awareness in terms of the direction that the game is headed. I feel like United are slightly behind the eight ball at the moment in, in terms of our, the, way, the way that we seem to be developing players. We, our academy seems to be lacking lacking direction, lacking leadership. And I think a sporting director would help on that side of things to sort out the leadership of the club. And make sure that in all areas of the game, whether it be scouting or transfer negotiations or just lead, leading the academy and getting it back to the standard that we want to see, I think in all of those areas, a sporting director could be a big help. And, one, and a sporting director, say it's Bertha alongside Woodward, could make a great combination.
1: Yeah, I th- we discussed the academy in one of our last episodes, and if you don't realise how bad the situation is, uh, try list that, because, because you'll be surprised. Um, we do need to sort that. We need to sort the structure of the club. I wrote an article about the, the fatal lack of direction at the club from from the very top, and I do feel it's bad. I think a sporting director would massively help that and allow allow the footballing side of things to benefit as well as the commercial side of things, as our revenue shoots up every year, and we might become the richest club in the world in 2017. Um, on to our loan players. How have they been doing in, in, in the past week, Jack?
0: Bit of a mixed bag, really. Um, James Wilson and Ashley Fletcher both had pretty good performances. James Wilson came on for the second half in Brighton's arena win against Brentford. Uh, Watched this game, James Wilson, when he came on. He, he really added something to, um, to Brighton, actually. He was... A really willing runner. He really helped Brighton to control the game, created a lot of space, made a great run, which took two defenders out of the game for Brighton's third goal. And and yeah, it was a really solid performance. Ashley Fletcher played 25 minutes for Barnsley in their 3-0 win over Berry. was inches away from scoring a header to make it 4-0. But he will be playing under a new manager soon after Barnsley's manager departed to Bristol City. Finally, Victor Valdez, uh, much talked about Victor Valdez, one of the, surely the strangest careers at Manchester United in recent times. Playing a full 90 minutes in his home debut in a defeat for Standard Liege in the Belgian Pro League. Kind of expect him to be a bit rusty, having not played any first team football. Since the last day of last season, I believe, um, and yeah, two goals conceded on his home debut, so not the
1: best start. In terms of our youth players who remain at the club, uh, as always, we like to provide you with an update on the youth system. Um, the under-21 side lost 2-0 to Everton in a closed-doors game away from home last Monday, while the under-16s were beaten 4-2 by Manchester City. And in the Monday we've just had, following that Chelsea game, the under-21 side absolutely thrashed Norwich City under-21 7-0. Wilkins scored 5 Brilliant goals, including one that was Eric Cantona's. That was his fourth of the evening. Memphis Depay got two assists as he dropped down into the under-21s in a strong team with Adnan Yanazai, Sergio Romero, Paddy McNair, Guillermo Varela and Memphis and Andreas Pereira. Um, another Manchester derby at youth level coming up. The under-21s will play City on Thursday at 8 o'clock. Game is live on BT Sport if you'd like to watch. That wraps things up for today. Uh, good for your discussions. Positive until the end, until we start discussing Guardiola and Mourinho. Let us know your thoughts on Mourinho, on Guardiola, on the Chelsea game, on the Stoke game. Thank you very much for your support over the last few weeks. Um, Jack, where can we find you on Twitter?
0: UTD T-A-I-T.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson64 and you can find the podcast on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod Pod. We're working on a YouTube account, a website. You can find us on ACAST, on Audio Boom and on iTunes. Keep subscribing, keep following, keep telling your friends, keep retweeting, whatever. Just keep doing what you're doing. Your support's been great. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Podcast Network.